tree when we get into it. Open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. In case you haven't noticed, people are, uh, are strange in a lot of ways. Uh, <laughs> and uh, for the most part, greatly confused. By that, I mean, seldom do you meet someone who, uh, who is able to distinguish between their, between their wants and their needs. I think we all have a problem with that, don't you, to some extent anyway. But some folks uh, really have a problem, especially when it comes to spiritual things. But it applies to every area of life. And as a pastor, that's something that I have to be aware of because, you know, it's only natural that I, I want the message to be acceptable. I, you know, I, I feel terrible if after the service is over, someone says, that was just a terrible message. I didn't get anything out of it at all. I'm not even too sure it was scriptural. Uh, I'd feel awful if, uh, if somebody made a remark like that. And so I want the message to be acceptable. But there's always that temptation to give people what they want instead of what they need. And if I'm going to help them, I have to do the latter, you see. It's important that they get what they need, and that's not always what they want. Now, I have a very good reason for for raising that issue this morning. It has to do with the subject of my sermon. And as strange as it might seem to you, I believe I'm justified in making this observation. The title of the message is The Lord's Love. For the lost, strangely enough, not everybody, uh, you know, thinks that's noteworthy. I can't think of anything greater, but some folks wouldn't agree with that because some people have the idea that they've already heard it all, or at least they've heard enough that they don't need to know any more. Oh, we learned that, you know, in the, uh, in the first grade, you know, from the very beginning. We all know the Bible speaks about God being a God of love. And, you know, if I was going to preach this morning about the identity of the Antichrist or some far out thing about how the Illuminati is involved in your daily life or whatever it was, you know, that might be a message on prophecy or something of that nature, there would be a lot of folks, you know, they would be all ears. I mean, man, I, we want to hear that. We, you know, we want to find out about that. Uh, but yet, whenever, whenever I mention I'm going to preach to you this morning about the Lord's love for the lost, it's kind of like, well, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'll kind of real quietly get my iPhone out and I'll read something, you know, that's more important to me at the moment. Well... Let me assure you, there's nothing more important uh, than what we're talking about this morning. And if you're here, if you think you have no need of hearing about it, you're the one that needs to hear it the most. Because it's a subject that we could never, ever exhaust. Let's begin reading in verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. 
and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, as I said, I'm going to speak this morning about God's love for the lost. But if we're really going to appreciate this, the first thing we need to do uh, is to kind of understand what it means to be lost. A lot of folks, you know, you speak about uh, the whole world is lost without Christ and they have no idea of, of what you're talking about. Well, let me tell you, it doesn't have anything to do with your physical position or your geographical location. It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. We're talking about something that is spiritual in nature. The word lost, and it's used many times in the Bible in this regards, it means away, it means ruin, it means destruction and death. And it has to do with our spiritual condition, the fact that by nature, each and every one of us have a propensity to sin. And our sin against God separates us from God. So when we talk about being lost, we're talking about being spiritually dead. And, you know, naturally, because we can't even begin to comprehend the holiness of God, there's no way that you and I can fully understand the magnitude of the awfulness of our own sin. You know, we can talk about the fact that as a lost person, we are depraved, we are defiled, we are disobedient, we are dead, we are doomed. We can use all of those different words to describe our condition, but when we have exhausted our efforts in trying to describe our spiritual condition, there is so much more that could be said, so much more that we do not know, because the worst thing in the world, maybe you'll remember here some months ago, I preached a message about the worst thing in the world. The worst thing in the world is sin. And the thing that makes sin so terrible, whatever the nature of the sin, is the fact that it is a violation of God's righteous standard. We've sinned against God. God who is holy. It's not like that we've offended one another, but rather we have offended the holiness of God, and there's no words to describe how filthy, how vile, how sinful we are. And yet, get this, and yet, the Bible says the Son of Man hath come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why would he do that? 
Well, there's only one reason, and that's because of His love. His love for the lost. I mean, here we are without any goodness whatsoever. The Bible says there's none that doeth good. No, not one. We all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet, and yet the Lord loves us. Now, here in America, you know, the uh, most everybody's heard that before. In fact, whenever we think about God... We think about God as a big hunk of love, you know, that He He just loves everybody. It doesn't make any difference what you do and so forth. And and so consequently, because God loves us, you know, we can behave however we please. A lot of folks have that philosophy. Oh, God is a God of love. He's the gracious God. He's a merciful God. So whatever I do, it's all going to turn out all right in the end. And they don't understand that although God is love, as the Bible describes, the Bible also describes God as being holy. In fact, that is the only one of the characteristics of God that is emphasized to the third degree. Holy, 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 the Bible says. There's no way to describe how holy God is. And our sin has violated God's holiness. That means that sin has to be dealt with. Now, were God not a God of love, God would just leave us to ourselves and to our own destruction. But He loves us enough that He initiated a plan to reconcile us, sinful man, to Himself, a holy God. So God is a God of love. But what we don't understand in America is that most of the world doesn't think of God in those terms. They don't think about God as a God of love. They think of God, you know, as some great and mighty, awful judge and that we've got to do something to appease the wrath of God. We've got to do something, you know, whether, you know, whether it's some sort of a religious ritual or whether it's good works or crawl on your hands and knees up to a statue or whatever it is. They're thinking we've got to do something in order to appease God's wrath and they don't think of God as we do as a God of love. And as Christians, we need to set the record straight. Because regardless of your concept of God, God is a God of love. And there are at least three reasons that I know that's true. That's why I read this section of Scripture this morning. Naturally, we could turn to a lot of different places in the Bible and speak about the love of God. But in this section, there are three things that stand out, that that enable us to realize that God loves the world, just like the Bible says. The first thing is that He speaks through the Scripture. I mean, that's what we just read, part of the Scripture. Turn back just a couple of pages in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. If anyone ever asks you to give a, give a, a scriptural definition of the gospel, you know, just about everybody knows the word gospel means good news. But what is the good news? Well, here it is. 
He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So the Scriptures affirm the fact that God loves us, and this is the means whereby God speaks to us. Let me tell you, we're not being childish whenever we sing with the kiddos, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That is profound. And if we had nothing else to confirm God's love for us, that ought to be enough. You can't depend on your feelings. I mean, if you depend on your feelings, you're not going to, you know... You have any idea whether you're going to heaven or hell or anything else. You can't depend on how you feel. You can't depend on your circumstances to tell whether God loves you or not. There are some of you going through very difficult times. There are people that have cancer, heart trouble. There are people that have just lost their their loved ones and going through great difficulties right now. And if they look at their situation as it is, they would come to the conclusion, God doesn't care anything about me. He's forgotten all about me. He has ignored me and my needs. So you can't depend upon that, but you can depend upon the Bible. That's where we find the facts here in the Word of God, you see. And His love is clearly stated and it's beautifully illustrated over and over again. And you can't read the Bible without seeing its testimony concerning God's love for those who are lost. Of course, some people refuse to believe the Bible. You know, they just set it aside and reject it, uh, uh, maybe for different reasons. Some because of the incredible statements that the Bible makes. Uh, the Genesis account of creation. Yeah, some people say, well, that just couldn't be. I mean, that's nonsense. And so they just set that aside. Or it might be that they don't believe in a worldwide flood. I mean, they don't even look at the evidence. You know, they might not believe in creation at all. They might believe in evolution. Boy, I don't have enough faith to believe that nonsense. Yeah. Have you Have you ever listened to them try to explain yeah. how we evolved down through the ages, you know, and finally become a little old tadpole wiggling around in the pool of water and it dried up and we wiggle, wiggle till we wore a wart on her tail and the wart become wings and we, it doesn't make any sense at all. But they look at us Bible believers and, you know, we say we believe in the Genesis account of creation just like it's written. We believe in a worldwide flood. We believe that Israel crossed the Red Sea just like the Bible says. We even believe that Jonah was in the belly of the whale just like the Bible says. But these people deny the miracles of Christ and they claim that the Bible isn't a trustworthy guide. But let me give you what I think is the most amazing, incredible statement in all of the Bible. It has nothing to do with Jonah in the belly of the whale. It has nothing to do with a worldwide flood. It has something to do with God's love. Romans 5 and verse 8. But God 
commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Amen? Think about that. Let it sink in. It's not after we got better, but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing in the world that should cause God to love us, but He does. The Bible says the whole world lieth in wickedness. But the very next verse it says, And we know that the Son of God is come. That's Listen, that's love. God has given us the Bible, the Scriptures, in order to reveal to us His love for us. But it didn't stop with that. That would have never been enough. Just to make those statements in the Word of God and to give it to us uh, would never have saved us if that's all that had happened. So God took another step, and that's the fact that He not only... He not only gave us the Scriptures, but He also sacrificed His Son. Look at verse 21 there in our text again. Verse number 21, For He hath made Him, that is Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that is, He was perfect in every way whatsoever, and yet He was made to be sin for us. And here's the reason that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, God not only declared his love, God demonstrated his love for us. The scriptures proclaim the love of God, but the Son proves the love of God. And nothing says it any better than John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Of all of the glories of the universe, there's nothing, absolutely nothing that can match this. Uh, it makes me want to sing that old song that says, Oh, I could sing forever of Jesus' love divine. And let me tell you, that's the way you feel when you understand that God really does love you. He loves you just like you are. Whatever you are, whatever you've done, makes no difference. God loves you. That doesn't mean everything's all right in your life, by the way. But it means that God loves you regardless of what's going on in your life. And yet there are those poor troubled souls that have difficulty in seeing this. You know, they see the little crippled children. Uh, well, some of those ads really, they really get to your heart. You look at the ads from St. Jude's or the Shriners Hospital and all of the great work that those people do in, in helping those little kids. But you, you, you look at that and you, and you think to yourself, how could a God of love let those little kiddos suffer like that? Or you go to the hospital and you go through the, the cancer ward there and you see those people, young people sometimes, that have been smitten with cancer. Or you go to the divorce court and you see the broken homes. And the list goes on and on of things that cause people to wonder, how could it be that God really loves me? Well, all you need to do is with your mind's eye go to Calvary. And if you could stand there at Calvary at the foot of the cross and see Jesus hanging on that rugged old cross, see Him suffering for you, you would never doubt His love again. 
the famous preacher John Stott wrote many years ago these words. I jotted them down so I'd never forget them. He said, only one act of pure love, unsullied by any taint of ulterior motive, has ever been performed in the history of the world, namely the self-giving of God in Christ on the cross for undeserving sinners. That is why... If we are looking for a definition of love, we should not look in a dictionary, but at Calvary. Boy, is that ever right. I mean, he hit the nail on the head. That's where you see the love of God in that he sacrificed his son. That's why the Apostle Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, that's the only thing I have to boast about is the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. God sacrificed his son and God has revealed himself through the Scriptures. We know God loves us. He has not ignored us. He not only declared His love, but He demonstrated it in the death of His own dear Son. But as we look at this section of Scripture, there's something else that generally gets totally ignored that I think is very important, and that's the fact that God demonstrates His love for the lost in that He sent His servants. Look at verse number 18 again, and I want you to notice what Paul says. He says, "...and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us..." That is, to those of us that are Christians, those of us that have been saved. We've received Christ as our Savior. He's given unto us the ministry of reconciliation." Young people, that word reconciliation has to do with two opposing parties being brought together in a spirit of unity. And here, here we are in our natural self as rebels against God, sinners in the sight of God, separated from God, dead in our trespasses and sins. And our great need is for reconciliation, some way, some means, whereby we can be brought together in union with God Himself. And that's what happens the moment we receive Christ as our Savior. But the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, we receive a commission from the Lord to be ambassadors for Christ. That we go out and we spread that message. Notice verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, at first thought, this might seem like a minor matter to you, but it isn't. I'll confess, it pales in significance compared to the cross. I mean, nothing can compare to that. When you're talking about the love of God, you know, that is the very best possible description of God's love for us. That is all the evidence that we should need. But there, there is more evidence than that. And it's worthy of our consideration. Remember that God's servants are His, what? His children. We don't become a servant of God until after we become a child of God. When we're saved, then we become servants of the Lord. 
And think about it now. We are the children of God. We are joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us we'd all be better off in heaven than we are down here on earth. Boy, isn't that the truth. Man, to think about being in heaven and free from every care, free from every pain, no worries whatsoever. I like that old song says, every day it'll be Sunday by and by. Well, it's going to be better than Sunday by and by. Every day for the child of God is going to be absolute perfection. So we'd all be better off in heaven. So why is it that the moment God saves us, He doesn't just take the breath out of our lungs and stop the blood flowing through our veins? Why doesn't God, the moment He saves us, just take us home to glory. Well, it's because of God's great love for the lost. And God has a plan for us, and that is that we be ambassadors for Christ, sent into this world with a message of reconciliation. He sends us to the uttermost parts of the earth, the Bible says. He allows us to be subjected to great suffering. Let me tell you, God would not do that to His children if he didn't love those that are lost. We've raised eight children, and I want to tell you right now, we, we never wanted to see our children in pain and agony. No sensible parent would. You want to see them prosper. You want to see them enjoy life. Right? I mean, that, that's just the way a parent feels toward their children. Nobody in their right mind say, well, I'm going to see how miserable I can make them. Now, you might think mom and dad has that attitude, you know, because you're undisciplined and spoiled and all of that. You might think that, and they're just trying to help you. But the fact is, we want what is best for our children, and so does God. But understand that God's love for those that are lost causes Him to leave His children here on this earth, Paul said to depart and be with Christ would be far better, but he said it's more needful that I remain here. That's why I pre- preached that message, you know, something something better than death and something that I think I said heaven can wait was the title of the message. Heaven can wait. Paul wanted to go there. He knew he was going there, but he's saying heaven can wait. That can wait because God's not through with me yet. God has a work for me to do. And when you think about the blood of the martyrs that have been shed throughout the centuries, uh, it is absolutely amazing. One of the first books I read years ago as a young Christian, and it's heavy reading, by the way, is Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it is absolutely amazing the suffering that God's people has gone through. And and still going through. In many parts of the world, they're suffering horribly. Our missionary to Lebanon, uh, I forgot his name right now. uh, Help me out here, somebody. What? Okay, that's it then. And he not only not only faces persecution and death when he preaches over there among the Muslims, I mean, he expects it. And he'll tell you it's just a matter of time, you see. 
Uh, well, for some people, they'd turn tail and run. They said, "Well, I'm going to go someplace where I'll be appreciated, someplace I'll be loved, someplace where I'll be safe." And yet, he stays there, nevertheless. Why? Because those people need to hear the gospel. You see, and God loves the world to such an extent that He is willing to allow His faithful, loving children to be abused and tortured and killed. Why would He do that? Well, because God is more concerned about the eternal destiny of the unsaved than He is the physical comfort of those who are saved. Let that sink in a little while. You know, we murmur and complain about our physical discomfort and because of the danger and the hardships and difficulties that we encounter. We need to put ourselves in the shoes of those that do not know Christ as their Savior and there's no doubt about their destiny because the Bible speaks about them being condemned already and the fact that they'll go to hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, every person in this building right now, every person in this world right now is either going to go to heaven or hell, one of the two. And there's no halfway house. It's not going to be possible for somebody to pay you out or pray you out. The moment you die, you're going to heaven or hell. And the only way you can be assured of heaven is if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I think about what Paul suffered. Look just across the page, chapter 4 and verse number 8. Now here's a man that loved God, that served God. And notice verse 8, he said, We're troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest, that is, revealed, manifest in our mortal flesh. This is the same man that has just written, we are ambassadors for Christ. A man that's willing to pay the price and to suffer in, in, in any sort of trouble and persecution for the sake of getting that message out. One of the things that helped me immensely by ways especially of inspiration as a young preacher was that I read every biography and autobiography of the famous missionaries and preachers that I could find. I've spent hour after hour after hour in old used bookstores trying to find those precious treasures that would reveal the record of those men. And just knowing what those men and their families went through just in some way just made me feel so ashamed of the smallness of the sacrifices that I had been willing to make. Just this last week I read the story again of Henry Martin. I wish I had time to tell you that whole story. Absolutely amazing. I mean, here was someone that was disfigured 
because of a disease and had warts and places all over his face and his body and someone that, you know, as far as this world was concerned, just nobody wanted anything to do with. But he fell in love with this young woman and she supposedly with him and they were going to get married. But God was urging him to go to India as a missionary. And finally he gave in to the call of God and he sat down with his bride-to-be and explained to her and she refused to go with him. He had to leave the love of his life for the one that he loved even more to go to India. He died by the time after suffering horribly. I think it was about 31 years old when he died. But he left India with three different translations of the Bible, three different languages of the Bible, you see. And that list goes on and on and on of those that have paid the price as ambassadors for Christ. And let me tell you, God's love ought to color our thoughts. It ought to transform our lives. Go back up to verse 14 where he says, Notice that the love of Christ constraineth us. That was a controlling factor in Paul's life. Everything he did was in consideration of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to be motivated to serve God, we have to live in the awareness of His love for us. You see, our unwillingness to serve and to suffer is caused by us thinking more of ourselves than we do of God or we do of others. That's what it gets down to. For God to call some young man into the ministry and that young man say, well, I've already made my plans. I'm sorry, I can't go. He's simply saying, you know, well, I, you know, I, I'm going to put myself first. And we'd be real quick to condemn somebody like that. But let me tell you, it's not just young preachers that have a responsibility to God. It's every child of God. You're to be an ambassador, whether it's in your school to your classmates, whether it's on the job to your co-workers, wherever it is, in your neighborhood, everywhere you go. You need to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message that the world needs to hear is that message that will reconcile them to God. And that message is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and for some reason you think what you want to do is more important than what you ought to do, let, let me tell you right now that, uh, that you are wrong. You are wrong. You're about to waste your life as, as a Christian. And maybe you're here and you realize, maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with your heart right now and you realize, you know, I, I, I haven't been willing to go and to sacrifice and to speak out for Christ. I, I've just neglected my responsibility of being an ambassador for Christ. What do I do about it? What do I do about it? Let me tell you. This is short and sweet, but it's, it's, it's the fact. This is what you've got to do. This is basically the only thing that you can do that will ever enable you to do what you ought to do. If you're going to renew your love for Christ, and that's what it all amounts to, because if we don't love Him to the degree that we ought to, we're not going to obey Him as fully as we should. 
to renew your love for Christ, you have to review His love for you. Go back to the beginning. Remember, we love Him. What does the Bible say? Because He first loved us. Had it not been for that, we would have no love of God. But He first loved us and He demonstrated that in that He gave the Scriptures and He gave His Son and He sent His servants into this world. And I want to tell you, when you're living your life in the light of God's love and you're basking in that every day and rejoicing over that, it'll make a difference in everything that you do. God's love is beyond our comprehension beyond our ability to explain it's by the way it's without any expiration his love is eternal there have been many times since i've been saved that i have failed god and i'm ashamed of that it's not because i wanted to it's because i did i just i I failed to do what i should have done But there was never a second in my life that God didn't love me. Amen? God, listen to this and I'm through. God couldn't love you any more than He does and He refuses to love you any less. He couldn't love you any more. And He proved it when He gave His Son. Do you know His Son as your Savior? Do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that if you died today, that you'd go to be with the Lord? So many times we get up in the morning, we start our day without any idea of what might happen. We can't know. God doesn't reveal the future. I think of those kids, and not just the kids, but the heroes involved in that shooting there in Florida and how awful it was. And uh, to think about them getting up that morning and I'll I'll never forget listening to the news and one of the dads talking about that, you know, every day that he tells his daughter that he loves her and so forth. But he said, you know, he he said, I can't remember whether I told her I loved her or not. And he started weeping there on the camera. I can't remember. Wouldn't it be an awful thing? You see, we just suppose that we're going to have plenty of time, that we're not going to die today. And I'm telling you, you're playing a fool's game. If you're here and you're not saved, and you presume on the mercy of God that you'll have another chance later on, you don't know that. This could be your last day on earth. You need to prepare for what comes next. And the only way to do that is for you to be reconciled to God, and that happens through your faith in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you trust Him today? Let's stand together. Father, how we thank You, Lord, for loving us, for proving Your love and the giving of Your Son. And Lord, we can't even begin to thank You enough for what that means to us this morning. But we know, Lord, that Satan will do everything within his power to get folks to procrastinate. He'll do everything within his power to deceive people and to make them think there's another way or whatever it is. And Lord, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit might speak to hearts 
and draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that not one soul would leave this building without knowing Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior. And for those of us who do, may we take serious the responsibility that we have as ambassadors for Christ. For we beg it all in Jesus' name. Amen.